They arrested me and they put me in jail and they called my pappy to throw my bail. And he said, son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod. Lincoln, that's correct. Captain Herb style, and no, that's not who I'm dressed up as for Halloween today, not Commander Cody or the Captain, but Doug Fireball Turnbull here behind the controls at WSB Radio in Atlanta. You're hearing us on various ways through uh, WSBRadio.com. You can hear us on GoPRN.com and on iTunes, like our 5 to Go Racing Podcast page on Facebook. And it would make sense if I told you that this is the 5 to Go Racing Podcast, a deal we put together each week with myself and Eric Von Hessler, who is so important, he's taking a client call right now. He'll come in midstream. And championship mechanic from NASCAR, Dan Elliott. How are we doing, gang? I don't know. How, gang, how are you doing? I can't how hear you. you gang, where's the gang? Uh, they're not talking to you. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, D- Dano, how's Halloween up there at Dawsonville? You got any big plans? Uh, you get Halloween is good, and you've always got plans with friends and family, and I'm going to dress up as myself and scare a lot of people, so it all <laughs> ought to be good. Hey, now, I don't think we've talked about this in the six weeks we've done this so far, but you actually stood in for your brother Bill a couple of times when he was too shy to do an interview. Is that, I've heard that as legend. Is that really true? <laughs> Well, it might be, but um, they were desperate, and I was the only one that they could run down at the time. And a better interview. Let's be real. Better interview. All right? Like, you know, I mean, Dan, you got you got all the quips, the humor. That's why we're here together. That's why we're here together. That's exactly right. <laughs> and I so, don't know if it's that or it's just sheer stubbornness. <laughs> I believe that, too. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, but in it, racing, you have to do that to survive, you know? Well, certainly. I mean... Think of all the hardships you go through. I mean, even the best drivers usually only win a few times of the year. The rest of the time, it's disappointment, right? So you've got to fight against that and be stubborn to stay in it, right? You have to have the – you have to stand the test of time, that's for sure. And It's hard to believe the people that are in the sport right now, the major luminaries and how long they've been involved when you look at a – Rick Hendrick, Jack Roush, Richard Childress, Roger Penske, who the you know the big owners, and Joe Gibbs is the new guy on the block out of out of the old block of owners, so to speak, coming in in 1993, and then Furniture Row Racing is the next one that's like really huge and viable, and you know, and they're they're still only 10 or 11 years old, so it's kind of interesting to see will there be a changing of the guard of owners in NASCAR anytime soon, and you know, Dan, you 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 and I talk about owners a lot. And how they shape you know, the you know, it's interesting you bring that up. We've talked talked about that a good bit because you've got the deal where you know Bruton owns half the tracks or are right there about, and and Bruton's probably what eighty three, somewhere oh, in gosh, that age. Yeah, I think he's older. Yeah, it may be older, but uh, you know what's going to happen when when he can't run the tracks or decides enough's enough or well he and he's got his son marcus well in charge i mean he's got a son marcus well in charge Mm -hmm. at at smi but i don't really see that chain of command and and i'm I'm not supposed to maybe but i don't see that chain of command as much with penske hendrick roush at gibbs they kind of have the the family passing of the torch so to speak but not um but you know not 
not so much of the others, right? Ricky Hendrick was supposed to be set up to do Hendrick Motorsports, and now you kind of wonder, one day when Rick just gets fed up and wants to put his feet up, who will that person be? Or with Jack Roush's operation, which is kind of hanging on. The Childers operation, you know, the grandsons are driving, right? I mean, their dad, Mike Dillon, who's the guy that or the girl that runs Richard, Richard Childers Racing? It's, you, you just hope that they don't fold their table and go. Yeah, but it comes down, don't you think it's going to come down to just the money trail on, is it a viable deal? Can we keep going? Are we interested in, is this the direction we want to go in? And then does a does somebody finally step up and say, well, I can't come into racing, so I'm going to have to buy into racing. So I've got cubic dollars, as you said, a couple <laughs> of episodes dollars, back, yeah. <laughs> if you had a kajillion dollars, you know, would you buy a team? I know that wasn't the question, but would you buy a team? Um, I, I don't know. Is it is it going to come to where these teams, these franchises are so valuable that they bring big enough money that they start being traded or sold, whatever? Well, you, you know, mean the, the charters is so unknown. You mean the charters, correct? Yeah, the charters. Yeah, and so that I think that was Franchise, the idea. Charter, same I thing. think that was the idea, and we see the charters getting swapped, but I don't know that they're worth the money they could be because let's face it there aren't even 40 full-time teams right now and and at the back of the field it's easy pick it's really although if you have a big money sponsor you're going to find a way to buy a charter you don't necessarily need one <laughs> you could probably yeah, survive if, without if one if you wanted to buy one that's on top definitely you'd probably go to hendrick first um if you wanted obviously if you wanted a chevrolet you'd go to hendrick first if, if you wanted something different you go someplace else but if you wanted a top one Obviously, that would be the one I'd go to. But, you know, we, we none know what the future is going to bring. And we none know we're, we're looking at the direction now of the sport and, and what's happening to it. And we're commenting on it. And one change could make everything different. So, you know, you're kind of speculating on a moving target. Yeah, now I think that's definitely true, and certainly, like you said, it's follow the dollars. The charter system hasn't been as profitable for the teams trying to cash out now, but you never know what could change. Remember 2007 when we had 10 or 11 teams going home each week almost, it seemed like. There was well way more money than there were spots in the field, and now it's kind of the opposite. So what I want to jump into, that was sort of a bonus subject this week, but we got, we've got five on deck here, and the first one I want to lead off with, the big story coming out of Martinsville Speedway, the one that everybody's talking about, the one that will not differentiate the Five to Go Racing podcast from any other because they'll all be talking about it, but it's Denny Hamlin versus Chase Elliott, right? Denny Hamlin in the closing laps, closes in on the leader Chase Elliott, so close yet again this playoffs to getting his first win, and Hamlin just drives him right up the racetrack, and Elliott ends up wrecking and finishing 27th, only two, and I've never seen Chase do this after the checkered flag. Take take his damaged car over to Denny's car. Denny had just wrecked, by the way, with that huge pile-up, 12 cars at the start-finish line, and the checkered flag was coming out. But Chase went and rammed into Denny's car, and they went out and had words, no punches, anything thrown. I'm sure all of y'all have seen the video. So, Dan, as you watched this or saw replays or videos or read about it, what was, what was your initial reaction to how it all played out? You know, this is one of those things where I didn't watch it when it happened, and, um, you know, we talked about Moonshine Festival, and, I was still trying to wrap up the weekend on it and didn't get to watch the race. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm so close to this. It's, it's hard to say anything because you obviously are emotional about what, who was involved. Sure. So and for those listening that don't say, realize, Dan, Dan is Bill's brother, so he is Chase's uncle. 
Mm -hmm. So th these are the things, you know, when, when we were in the deal and you're running races and this stuff happens, you know, if you're sitting there and, and you're one of the top contenders for the chase, which they all were at that time, you and I both know adrenaline is pumping and everything's going at the time and you're going to do everything you can possibly do. And I don't know of many people that just intentionally wreck anybody. And I don't, I don't think anybody is out to do that, but I definitely know he was going to push him as hard as he could push him to get him to run up the racetrack and, and get by him. It certainly and seemed more that, than a bump and run, though, right? It seemed like yeah. when he dove into the corner, as I saw one driver say, and it may have been a driver you and I know, I, I want to say it was uh, 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 Boo, you know, who ran at the racetrack up there. Either he or Donnie <laughs> Wilson, one of them said that they both used to run at Gresham Motorsports Park, that he pretty much used Chase as a set of brakes. And, you know, if, you, if there's, there's a bump and run where you knock him out of the groove and dive under him, but that wasn't as much of an option, I felt like, in Martinsville Sunday because the outside groove had more traction than it has in the past. And so so Danny used him as a set of brakes, and Chase pretty much, I mean, Chase could either have pulled over right then, or of course not, he's going for the win, and so it ends up wrecking him. And and it made him, instead of finishing second or fifth, he finished 27th, and it's pretty much in a must-win scenario now for the Dawsonville, Georgia driver going forward. So after the race, of course, Denny Hamlin gets on and says, oh, well, somebody pushed me. Well, that wasn't true. And then the replay showed that it definitely wasn't true. Chase Elliott said, if I don't have anything nice to say, I shouldn't say anything. That's what mom told me, and he's not worth my time. That was paraphrased what he said. And Chase didn't really take any cheap shots. He did his talking to Denny right there in front of God and everyone. But, Dan, here's where I think Chase wins. Maybe not in 2017, but tell me what you think about this notion here. The fans were going absolutely bananas, similar to how what Jeff Gordon won that race two years ago, and they were booing likewise the heck out of Denny Hamlin when he was doing his post-race interview. So much were the fans charged that a Chase Elliott fan got onto pit road and tried to get into it with Denny. So, Dan, did Chase, by making the statements that he has in these playoffs and then having something bad happen to him, make him look like a better guy and maybe make him be the guy that could take the mantle or some of it anyway for when Dale Earnhardt Jr. retires? I absolutely think so because whether he did or didn't say anything matters to me not. It's the fact that he fought back on what he felt like he was wrong. He fought back and we've seen that through history and, you know, Bill made it with the – the pice and the grass yes. in Charlotte when, when there was actually no pice and the grass, but the block of the grass became famous. Yeah. Far. And, and there are not a lot of good words that rhyme with blocks. You got to stand gotta... up for themselves. And obviously, yes, it was, that was the time and that was the place. I think that chase, if he, he was, he's already largely popular, but now he's been wronged. And I think That's that not, not only lights a fire under the fan base who was going wild on Sunday, but I think chase I'm not. He's always had the competitive fire, but it seems like to me, Dan, and I'm, I'm trying to say this objectively, but it seems like he had a case of the yips in the big moment, like when he lost Dover a couple of weeks ago, or I guess it was about a month, month, month and a half ago, when he, when Kyle Busch passed. You know, it seems like in those big moments on restarts, he just doesn't gain the spots and the footing that he needs to, and it seems like now it's been taken away from him a few times, and this one right here could have been the biggest thing that got taken away from him you may see a slightly more driven or more I'm not putting up with this Chase Elliott than we did in the past 
Yeah, it's much like what I always heard roaming around the racetrack in years past, and that's let's feed the the driver some gunpowder and <laughs> and and let's make him a little bit more aggressive because you know the team is more behind you when you ag absolutely what do they tell you go out and run fast or bring the steering wheel back you know it's one of them deals where we don't care if we have to fix the car you just go be aggressive and do what you have to do to win a race and that's certainly what he's been trying to do. Now, another angle to take that people that are sort of more on the Denny Hamlin side of this is, hey, that really wasn't all that cheap a move from Denny Hamlin. He's going for a win. That's what this format is set up for, go for wins. And that's what he did. And, and he wrecked Chase, whether he meant to or not. And Denny Hamlin sent out this long apology tweet afterwards, which I think a lot of people thought was something that PR encouraged him to do. But Denny Hamlin, I think, learned from Joey Logano, if you don't apologize for something, you've got a big old target on your back. I think he's got a target on his back anyway. I don't <laughs> I don't think it's going to be forgotten anytime soon. And when you least expect it, something will be there because there will be a situation that's going to be a give-and-take situation. Yes. And guess who ain't going to give? That's correct. And you could tell by when he went for the lead at Talladega two weeks ago, Chase Elliott not taking anymore. Or yeah, not giving exactly. anymore. I mean, he's taking. Uh, and, and you see it over and over that there's an aggression, and now if he can refine that aggression, he's going to move forward. Another take that is not pro-Chase Elliott, and it's not these are not necessarily mine. I'm just throwing these out here, Dan, so you could deal with them, okay? No, is, and, and, and absolutely. You know, these views are our own, and however they come across or, or whatever comes across, everybody's entitled to their opinion. That, correct. And so another one is, look, Chase body slammed Brad Keselowski on the restart before that, knocked him way out of the groove. Or no, it was that same restart, I think, to where it, now Keselowski didn't wreck, but Chase actually moved a lane up from the bottom and got into Keselowski from the inside and moved him out. And so that could be seen as a cheap move also. And let's not forget that when Chase won his first truck race back in 2013, he was all over Ty Dillon as a part-time driver, Ty Dillon running for the championship. And Chase, you know, Dillon left the door open, Chase filled the hole, and then wrecked Dillon and won the truck race there at a Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. And so, you know, if you're pro-Chase, you, you got to see it two ways, I guess, is what some people are saying. I understand that, and and you know you get into a lot of times, and and as I said, adrenaline's flowing, and and it's all pumping, and you're trying to do good, and you were talking about different situations, and how you handle them. Let's go back to experience and and years of doing this, because one thing you will understand over time, it may not have happened to you this year, but before you get out of the car and retire, you will have a whole lot more things done and you will do more to other people. It's, it is give and take. It's racing, and it's a sport where, um, what did Ricky Bobby say? If you're not first, you're last. Or <laughs> yeah, and now more than ever, that's true because of this uh, playoff racing format. You're going mm -hmm. for wins. Those matter, matter more than, than finishing and having a good points day, but you still you have to have the points, obviously, and Chase is in a big points hole right now. Here's kind of my take on it is we're, you, know, you could be Team Hamlin, Team Chase, but really the thing that brings people ex that, that, make, that make people think the sport is exciting is Team Conflict. 
Okay, who cares if if you could be? And we we want Chase Elliott fans and Denny Hamlin fans to be at odds with each other. We want the drivers to be at odds with each other. We we don't want cheap racing out there, but we want people to have an attitude instead of just oh well the car's faster, pull over and get out of the way. And we've had so much talk about penalties, rules changes, sponsors this season. It's nice to talk about the on track product for once, and that's. That's what happened there, and so I, I'm all I'm all about it. I liked it when Kyle Busch went after Joey Logano after the Vegas race. I like the discussion that was had after the Canadian Tire Motorsports Park race, where Austin Cindric did the exact same move on Kaz Grala to win his first ever truck race and get into the playoffs. There, just used him as a set of brakes. I bring it, <laughs> I, and I and I'm a Chase Elliott fan. It, you know, as a as a person, I want the Georgia guys to do well. Bring it. He'll win sometime. And this time, it wasn't his time. That's, that's exactly right. Bring it. And, um, you know, as you said, it, it's pretty much now the rules of the game have forced you to be aggressive, especially in the chase races, especially in the chase races. And I think we're going to see some of this. I, I don't know how much of it NASCAR is going to allow before they step in. And this is where I don't like it. Because, as you say, let the drivers settle it, and and let's not get stupid, but, but let's look at the racetrack. Martinsville is one of the places that you can play a few of these games and not get anybody hurt. And right. my point being is that's why I love the shorter tracks. Well, listen, that, that is you set this up on a tee perfectly, Dan. I didn't know you knew how to golf, okay? Look, yeah. here's the next topic that I want to talk about. Finally, to subject number two, okay, folks? is, and this is going to be kind of the cliche thing you do after a Martinsville, Bristol, or Richmond race, let's talk about short tracks on our schedule. We hear it over and over again about the trucks of the Xfinity Series that will drive down costs and boost excitement to have them run on the short tracks, but we've got to look at the cup schedule as well. So, Dan, we hear these pleas after every Martinsville race, short tracks. How do we get that done? Or Not me and you, but how, do, <laughs> how does that get done? Is it really in NASCAR's best interest, and what's stopping it? You know, as a former general manager, I, I guess what's stopping time, it is the fact that NASCAR and Bruton have either built or bought all of these, all these other racetracks, and and forgotten a lot of where they cut their teeth. And and you look at Martinsville, you look at Wilkesboro, you look at Bristol, you look at the short tracks that started it all, and how exciting those races were. And the more they fool with the rules and the more that we have gotten away from these tracks may be part of the reason that, that fans don't go as much. It, it may be part of it. It's not all of it, but it may be part of it because I love the excitement of the short tracks. And I loved Richmond the way Richmond used to be when it was a half mile. That, yeah, when it was the fairgrounds, and they kind of yep. angled it out to three-fourths. And a lot of people have described Richmond as being the perfect racetrack, but of years lately – because I guess the cars are engineered as such, or the drivers are just this more refined, whatever the factor is. But the Richmond racing oftentimes brings not much conflict, right? It's There's too many grooves to race, and they kind of could get around each other. And so we look at the schedule right now, and mile and a half, and tracks that are mile or two miles, sorry, mile and a half, two mile, or two and a half mile are most of the whole schedule. And people get excited when they say more road courses or more short tracks. So outside of the short tracks that we have, because we go to all of them twice already, let's say that we could get four more short track races on the schedule, Dan. 
what would be the biggest impediment to one of those short tracks? Let's take away all of the scenarios about, oh, well, all the tracks have five-year agreements and this and that. Let's just say you could add them to the schedule. What would be the biggest hindrance for, say, the track you used to manage, Gresham Motorsports Park, actually facilitating NASCAR when they're built as a local short track? You know, when when you look at Gresham, obviously the, the grandstands couldn't hold up any people, and um, your infrastructure around it couldn't handle that many. They've got it to the point that Road Atlanta could just about sustain a road course race. Sure could. And handle that many people. Got the but interstate and Doug, two big highways. Let's, let's yeah. look at the realistics of this. It would not be hard to get Gresham ready to run a cup race. And what would you have to do? I mean, if you're a guy, you, you've run that whole facility, you've cut the grass before, what would you have to do? You know, I honestly think that you could come in there and open up uh, David Wilson's cornfield next door and make that parking. And I don't even, why do you need safer barriers on a half mile racetrack? But, but NASCAR is going to make you have them. NASCAR's going to make you have them, but that's where I disagree. I think a half a mile or shorter racetrack, you could do that. You know, even coming to Greenville Pickens, Greenville Pickens is another place that they used to run, and you could do the same thing. It would not take very much at all to come in and run that racetrack. But being able to do that and then be able to utilize that racetrack for other events during the year, it would be, to me, one of the smartest things to do. And it's tough to also, when you talk about splitting off and saying that the trucks and the Xfinity series have more of their identity, one of the biggest obstacles to that right now is those series share a lot of resources with NASCAR, Mm -hmm. with the race teams, and, what's the one I'm missing, with the broadcasters. If you have to split up the media, the race teams that share pit crews, and, and mechanics and things like that, and then and you have to split up the NASCAR officials. Suddenly, even though you're giving those series more identity, yeah, it takes a lot to put that on. And think about I, was, I had a person tell me who was investigating this that it costs Fox or FS1 to do a truck race standalone. It costs like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and that's and maybe more than that to to have their crew there. They would have to spend that again if they were doing the cup race and then the trucks were racing, let's say, Greenville Pickens. So it's really tough to figure out what the scenario is because every time you find a new solution, you end up springing five more problems. With safer barriers, I propose this, NASCAR, who makes tons of money from TV and who steals sponsors away, well, steals, who takes sponsors away that race teams could have instead, NASCAR, the closed private company that you are, how about you offer to put in safer barriers and help with facility improvements for racetracks in in exchange for making the schedule better, huh? You know, I think it may, may be a deal to worry that maybe you as a track offer NASCAR a percentage of ownership to do those very things. That, that would that, be a good deal. that you have a vested interest along with the owners to make the facility better and to try to bring not only race teams in, but to bring butts to the grandstand to bring people in. If ifs and buts were candy and oh, never mind. Okay, so that's it. <laughs> was that ever on the table at Gresham? Did y'all ever talk about trying to shit with any race series? Because y'all had several there about trying to. Because obviously Gresham's up for sale now. It's not an operating racetrack as we speak at this moment. Uh, was that ever on the table of somebody trying to put bring in some ownership as a racing series? 
No, it was it was discussed, but nobody ever was interested in in anything. So, yeah, it, it may have been passed around, but it was never a serious conversation. That's interesting. That really is. I, I like that idea, Dano. You should uh, write, put that message in a bottle and send it out to send it out to seas and see what they could do to find that. And of course, the biggest impediment to all of this, just to state it again one more time, is there already are a bunch of tracks that have races and don't want to lose them because that's revenue. And so those companies would have to be sacrificial in the name of the sport. And there's a lot of things you could sacrifice in the name of making the racing of the sport better, but a lot of it comes down, well, almost all of it comes down to money. So that's really not going to be viable anytime soon, but we hope in the future that NASCAR can look at some more short tracks. Now, next subject, Dano, is an interesting scenario, and it's going to be two of them that have to do with Richard Petty Motorsports. The first, though, is Smithfield Foods, who has been a, a sponsor and a, for the majority of the races that Eric Almarola has been in the number 43 machine for RPM. Had announced back in September that they were going to Stuart Haas Racing, which prompted this public battle of words between the Smithfield brass and the RPM brass, including Mr. Petty himself, and saying they had a handshake deal. No, you didn't. Your team doesn't perform. Well, now they've come to a settlement where they're still going to join SHR, Stuart Haas Racing, in 2018, but they are still going to have some sort of relationship with the Petty race team. And so with their new driver being Bubba Wallace next year and them getting that all buttoned up, uh, Dano, do you first off, what's your take on this situation? And then, do you remember just from your decades of racing knowledge, any other nasty sponsor team divorces that uh, kind of played out in the public like that, or behind the scenes? You know, there were quite a few, and and you weren't privy to a lot of them. There were things that went on. You know, I can remember some of the Kodak and and some of the other sponsors that were in and. And it gets down to everybody. It, it's just like running for the chase. And the sponsorship is no different. Everybody is going to do whatever it takes to borrow your sponsor away from you and bring it to your fold. And performance, obviously, is one thing that everybody looks at. But regardless you you are you just don't know how cutthroat this business is until you get into the sponsorship deal the the racetrack has has um it it doesn't even compare with with what's going on in the sponsor world and try to keep or get sponsorship and how tough that business is but you know let's let's look at richard petty and where he's at with smithfield you know so uh, wouldn't it be funny if, if Richard goes out and get Danica Patrick to drive his car? Well, it would be funny, but they've announced that Bubba Wallace is going to be in that for <laughs> I know, right? I know, but yeah. I th- I'm thinking, you know, as much as he talked about Danica, and yes. he couldn't drive and That's all true. this. And wouldn't it be funny if Smithfield said, well, we want her? That that would be interesting. But, but see now, so Stuart, if Smithfield wanted Danica, she could have remained in Stuart Haas Racing because their biggest re- – I, I think this Smithfield and Richard Petty Motorsports – situation is actually very similar to how Stuart Haas Racing has been wrestling with sponsors themselves and the Nature's Bakery deal that fell through for Danica. They had one season together. They didn't perform well. Nature's Bakery obviously was in over their head and pushed back and tried to sue Stuart Haas Racing for lack of performance or, or tried to get out of the deal. And Stuart, or they, they said they wanted out of the deal. Stu, they, there was a lawsuit and then a settlement. And I had a feeling that these two, Smithfield and Richard Petty Motorsports, 
came to a settlement. That's sort of what sources are telling Adam Stern at the Sports Business Journal. They came to a settlement. There'll be some money exchanged, but in the end, I think Smithfield is still going to SHR, and the presumed favorite to join them over there, whether they actually sponsor this driver or somebody else, is Eric Almarola, because there are big clauses in that contract. Some reports say that Almarola actually couldn't move with the sponsor because of that they didn't want him taking the sponsor away. So really interesting scenario there. So it reminds me of a few things with Stuart Haas Racing. And so another subject I wanted to bring up here is, is you would think that as Tony Stewart-owned race team, four competitive cars, even if one of them struggles quite a bit, or sometimes a lot of them do, they they really seem to struggle to keep sponsors. Even Tony Stewart's initial deal with the team was a two-sponsor deal because that's when sponsors started cutting back. It was it was uh, Old Spice and Office Depot. And since then, both of those companies have long since left the team. Bass Pro Shop sponsored the 14 when Stewart was in it. And then after he left, they were gone. And we've seen Gene Haas, who's the majority owner in Stewart Haas Racing, back the back the cars much more sh- you know much more so out of his pocket. We've seen Nature's Bakery come and go, U.S. Army come and go, and so I just wonder, Dano, since you've been on the business and the performance side of a race team, how much does that personnel side really affect a sponsor's decision in staying? And you know, it, it just makes you wonder what Stuart Haas is like to be a sponsor for. Well, not only that, but you also have to look at the drivers because the drivers fit into this also because you have personal services contracts with the drivers and and maybe your driver doesn't want to go someplace you want to have them go to promote their product and maybe they're not as willing, maybe they're not as people friendly when you go to these personal appearances, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it was like at one time when Tony Stewart said, I will never have anything to do with a Ford. And that was pretty much an understatement. And (laughs) you you have all these people that say all these things. And this is a volatile area of the business anyway. And it doesn't take very much to turn a sponsor off. And um, you know the story of one where they were going to be picked up by UPS and they had a FedEx envelope. The contract was delivered in a FedEx envelope. And yeah. then that, that deal went away. It's, it's volatile. That, I mean, how did that, that was what a Michael Walter break. I, I don't know which team it was, but I've, I've heard that story before. And it, you know, the two thousands, I guess would, yeah. Cause UPS defected after Dale Jarrett kind of retired there at MWR. Yeah, and, and why Reagan. didn't that carry on? Because that was, that was a good relationship and why didn't that carry on? But there's, there's a lot of things that didn't carry on that should have, and, and it just makes sense to carry them on. But you don't know also too, on the other end is, is how much money does, does NASCAR, how much does NASCAR play into this and any percentage of money, or do you have to just be associated with NASCAR? Um, there, there's a lot of this that being an outsider, you're just not privy to. I would love to be a fly on the wall in some of these presentations and discussions. I'd love to know, for instance, how much Nationwide is putting forth there. Uh, here as we are on subject number four of this 5 to Go podcast. You know, this is one of those deals where yeah. we need to do as our reality show. You know, the cameras need to go into the team meetings. Yes. Well, now they need to go into the, some of the contract meetings with sponsors. Dan, you, you come up with great ideas on this show. We need to make sure that NASCAR is listening to this, right? 
I don't know if that would be true or not. <laughs> yeah, we've called him out, too, all right? All right, yeah. Um, a little correction last week. I think I said Brett Jukes was was the president of NASCAR, and it's actually Steve O'Donnell there. I just I got my wires crossed when I said that, by the way. I just uh, remembered to correct that. Now, if you're wondering why you're not hearing the voice of Eric Von Hessler, should remind everybody again, uh, Eric had to take a client phone call here. He's got a tight window to do this stuff, and then I've got to run off and do my main job, traffic reporting. So we kind of had to squeeze this in there. And so if Eric's able to join us, he'll jump in here. But as we get to uh, the, the last leg of this, we've talked about Stuart Haas and their relationship with sponsors, the whole sponsor drama with Smithfield and Richard Petty Motorsports. And our last subject today here, Dano, is Bubba Wallace being named the driver of that 43? It was a popular pick. Media members rooting for him. Fans, other drivers, yay Bubba, yay Bubba, yay Bubba. But with all the free agents that are out there, with all the other young drivers there are as well, Dan Elliott, uh, Bubba Wallace being the first full-time African-American driver in the Cup Series in a long, long time, really since Wendell Scott, because all the others have been part-time. What do you think about he is the choice to drive the King's iconic 43? You know, no problem with that choice whatsoever. Um, obviously, they saw a lot of talent there or it wouldn't have happened anyway. So let's just follow the talent trail and um, also to the money trail. So it, as long as and the sponsors haven't been announced, by the way, they, they've only announced that it's Drew Blickensnerver still leading the team and that Bubba Wallace will be the driver. Yep. So <laughs> I think talent-wise, if they weren't happy with that, they wouldn't have done it. They see potential there, and they think they can develop that and move forward. And it's like we said, Doug, you know, a lot of this young talent is coming in, and it just may take a little bit of time to sift it out and see who's good and see who's not. I think that's well put. So Bubba Wallace made four starts during Eric Almirola's six-week ax- ax- six absence, easy for me to say, in that 43 he finished 26 at Pocono after he had several speedy penalties, 19th at Michigan, 15th at Daytona, and 11th at Kentucky. So he improved each week and was would have run better at Pocono if not for those speedy penalties. So he showed some talent. Likewise, Eric Almirola really has struggled in the 43 car. And I said before the season, I got to fill in and co-host with Brad Gilly on Sirius XM. And I, there, there's always talk about the big-name drivers and could, they, could this be their last year? Could they be gone? And I said to him then, eh, Eric Almirola has been in that 43 full-time since 2012. Here we are, 2017. He made the chase in 2014. He's got to do something else for us. And, and certainly it looks like he's getting a promotion, but regardless, if he goes to Stuart Haas, he will be. Regardless, he's not in the car anymore. So he has not finished near as well as Bubba Wallace has this season. Bubba's average finish in uh, four races was 17th, and I'll look up Almirola's in a second there. Do you, I mean, so do you think that Bubba then was the best fit for this 43 car, Dan? You know, obviously there were a lot of factors that they look at to do this, and I would be the same way. And obviously they felt like this was the best fit for them. And maybe it was a little bit about money, definitely about it, about how talented he is. And for them, they felt like it was the right fit. So let's see. Time will tell, and, and let's see where it goes because this won't be the last of the changes. Nope. As we've talked about before, your veterans, I, th- I think this is where the guard is changing, and you're going to see less and less opportunity for the veteran drivers to get the money that they're trying to command and have a full-time ride. I think absolutely that's the case. you got to decide how much do you want to drive. 
We still don't know where Danik is going to be. We still don't know if the Richard Petty team will have a, uh, the 27 active or not as Paul Menard has left. We don't know if Kurt Busch is returning to the 41. We have no idea where Matt Kenseth could land or Landon Castle. The Front Row Motorsports did announce that they're staying with Ford for next season, and David Reagan's most likely to uh, rejoin them in whichever car, but they, they, they're missing a driver as well. And you just don't know if there's another team that could come in or teams that could merge or teams to shut down. And here's one. This is I'm just throwing this out there as an example of something that we're not thinking of could happen. Could Chip Ganassi say, you know, Jamie McMurray, you've done well for me, but it's time, <laughs> just like he did with Juan Pablo Montoya. Could, could we go into the offseason and then wake up one day in January of next year and have one of these drivers I've mentioned or someone I haven't mentioned driving the one car, for instance? That's yeah, a team that, exactly. That's, that's, that's a team that seems to have was, peaked out. You know, yes. There's drivers that we haven't talked about that, that, from my opinion, need to be, you know, let, let's, let's go a different route because we're not seeing results like we need to see. But we don't know what's going on inside the team because at one time Roush would have been the team to be with. Yeah. Now, now it's changed. I, at one time you would have had, you know, what's happened to Hendrick this year. We've, we've seen glimpses of that team's level of expertise and what they can do, but we've definitely not seen the domination like we've seen in past years, but it's time for a change. I think a lot of teams could be looking at that. I think about Trevor Bain in the six car, A.J. Allmendinger in the 47, Jane McMurray in the one. Those are three that you just look at and go, well, is there something better out there How the about team? Casey Kane? How about Casey? Yeah, and now he's going to be in the – see, they made that change. William Byron will be with what is now the five team and will become the 24 car next season. So Casey moves to the 95, but he displaces Michael McDowell. Could McDowell be a guy that – Probably not because of what the results have shown, but could McDowell be a guy that somebody looks at as, okay, he's a mid-level driver, we could put him here. If Almarola doesn't go to Stuart Haas Racing, they, you just don't know where where it lands. It's gonna be a, There is not going to be an off-season. There will be as far as on-track racing. There will not be an off-season as far as stories go, and we've seen that in recent times where the news cycle just keeps churning through the winter months. Is, is everybody looking for a new cow bush? Is that what everybody's looking for, where somebody can come in jump in the car and I know he didn't do it right off, but at a young age he did it. And is, is, are they looking for that? The new talent that's coming in, are they looking for somebody that can just get in the car and be a phenom, just, just somebody that is Ideally. out of the box winning races and, and viable for a, a championship the very first year. I think that everybody is looking for that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yep. that's they so they put those chips with a Suarez, with Eric Jones, with Ryan Blaney, with Chase Elliott, yep. and that's going to unfold here really shortly. It kind of makes you feel like just how we've talked about before. There isn't a middle class. You've got your rookies, and and you've got the teams that are established and are popping out those race wins. There's not a lot of time to prove yourself in the Cup Series anymore. It used to be Harry Gant. All right, or even when Bill started out, you know, you get, you get Harry Gant drove what the forty-seven car, right? And Jeff Bodine drove that same car, and then they graduated to better race teams. Yeah, you're in winners. your late twenties, early thirties before you ever get into a Cup car. It used to be like that. Dale Earnhardt's rookie season, he was uh, twenty-eight years old, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, so it, that has changed. That has changed, and now the the younger that you can, but look at the drivers they're they're starting out in go karts at four years old so 
it, it's just all changed. It, the whole level has changed. Some of it for the good, maybe some of it for the bad. We'll leave that for another time there. Uh, Dano, so what's on the, uh, your social calendar or uh, DEI performance calendar uh, coming up there for the, for the job and the rec time there as we you know, seal in the November? We've got uh, short tracks coming to an end and a lot of the historic races and the stuff that I, that I do transmissions and gears for and do a lot of stuff for. And this, this time allows you to get back in the shop and do the needed maintenance that you need to do and get caught up on some of the stuff that, that you've neglected to do, whether it be at home or at work, but definitely the shop needs the dozer going through it just to clean it out from the year of the stuff that you just neglected doing and cleaning up and, and getting ready for the season to start back in February or March. And, and this is a great time. Plus it allows you to have a little time to just back off and, and just breathe. And some of that's well needed too, just like you. Yeah, I think there's about, except for the eight drivers in NASCAR's playoffs, I think there's a lot of people that are ready to breathe in the, in the mm-hmm. industry at NASCAR right now, for sure. And, there won't be much uh, time to breathe as far as Atlanta traffic goes. We stay busy with that, but uh, it'll it'll be nice to have the RPM, uh, the tachometer down just a little bit lower here in, in these winter months. Want to tell y'all real quick since Eric wasn't able to join us today, he's still doing for those that are Atlanta residents. He's still doing his autumn breakfast tour, and leg number four will be this Wednesday at Old Town Grill in Lawrenceville. I actually DJ trivia there, Dan, on a New Year's Eve like seven years ago or something like that so so i've been to the place it's decent a nice big bar and grill so old town grill wednesday morning that's tomorrow Mm -hmm. if you're listening now or if you're listening on wednesday it's today and you probably already missed it but it's going to be at 9 a.m and he'll do his show from 9 to 11 on wsb and then his podcast hour that's not on the radio but it is on his facebook live or facebook page at von hessler doctrine uh, that will be on from 11 to 12. So he'll have a three-hour show for a live studio audience. WSB has new gear. they got new T-shirts, water bottles, uh, uh, hats as well, Stuff that way better stuff than what I used to work promotions, okay? So go out there and meet Eric Von Hessler and the Doctrinaires, Jared Yamamoto, Tim Andrews, and the gang. And then, um, and then they'll uh, announce what their next one is coming up as well. As far as WSB traffic team, the only thing we have to announce is December the 9th at Fred's Barbecue House in Lithia Springs on Highway 6 Thornton Road, north of I-20. It's our annual Toys for Tots drive where that Captain Herb used to commandeer and really make a big event for so many years, but the guys at Fred's do that. Uh, bring a new unwrapped toy for that, or you could donate at toysfortots.org slash WSB. It's like a big old festival we have out there on December the 9th in a motorcycle ride beforehand. Uh, and Dan, I know the Moonshine Festival, uh, there there was a great weather this re- weekend, but you had a great cause, right? Yeah, we sure did care for kids. It gets up a lot of money for, for needy kids at Christmas time, and, and it's a great thing. And we're able to raise some money for them, and um, it was still, even with the weather, had a good turnout despite the weather, and uh, still a lot of cars, beautiful cars that some I had not seen before and were from the county I live in, and that's just unbelievable. You thought you'd seen it all, but <laughs> obviously you hadn't, and a lot of people drug them out there, and Friday ended up being the best day, and there were a lot of cars there on Friday. A lot stayed Saturday, and a lot came on Sunday. So despite the weather, still had a great time, and I want to thank the people that came out. For those not, yes, thank you to everybody that helped with that. Care for Kids, by the way, is K-A-R-E for kids.org, K-A-R-E-F-O-R-Kids.org. You can go in there and donate. If y'all are listening to Ed through the PRN way of listening to us or on iTunes, you've just come across this 5 to Go Racing podcast, 
You don't have to be in Atlanta to help us out. You could go to care4kids.org or toysfortots.org slash WSB and find ways to donate to both of those great organizations. Care for Kids helps specifically kids that are kind of in the, the North Georgia mountains, Dawson County uh, area. Any parting words this Halloween, Dano? Have a great Halloween. Be safe, be healthy, and we'll we'll talk to you next week. we got to cue this up. Captain Herb on his Halloween shows. And we used to do the Alan Vigil 120. The Monster Mash. Dano, have a great day, buddy. Everybody, have a great week. Have a great week. We'll have uh, Eric Von Hessler back next week. For now, enjoy the Monster Mash and happy Halloween. You've been listening to the 5 to Go podcast. The Monster Mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the car. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.